Well, good morning. This morning, we want to continue uh, the discussion that we started last month on what God blesses. So this is part two of this discussion. And we left off last time with the 10 key financial principles. I want to just run through these very quickly. And then I want to talk to you a bit about prospering in God's universe, what that really means. Most of us very quickly assume that refers to financial prosperity. Well, that is an aspect, but that is far from the complete aspect. There's a whole lot more to it than that. So we'll try to touch on that today. And I want to conclude with giving you an exercise, a tool that you could use personally. You could use it in your family. You can use it in your business. It's called the Prosperity Predictor. Uh, and for those of you that are managers and leaders in organizations, you definitely want to tune into this because you need to, to know how to d discern who is it that will be blessed by God. Who is it that's positioning themselves for God's prosperity? And I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel where we, uh, we demand of God that he prospers. I'm talking about obedience to God that will facilitate his will in our life and will lead to us prospering the ways he wants us to prosper so we can do what he's called us to do. That's very different from the prosperity gospel, which is a very narcissistic gospel where we're trying to get God to prosper us according to our will. That is not biblical prosperity. That is worldly, worldly definition, worldly worldview of prosperity. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about biblically how to prosper in God's universe. Well, the first principle is be humble and fear the Lord. Proverbs 22, verse 4, humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Wealth and honor and life rooted in the right relationship with God, humility before God. Secondly, honor the Lord with your first fruits, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. This is what we must do. We must learn how to truly honor the Lord with what he gives us. Whatever we have, he has given it to us, and the purpose of it, purpose of provision is always for us to do his will. It's never for us to do our will. It's never for us to pursue our agenda. It's always to humble ourselves before him to do his will. Third, money is not equal to success. This is a commonly very, very misunderstood reality. We think if we have money, we're successful. Well, Psalm 73 tells us that's not true. Just because you have abundance of resources in some way, that does not mean it's a blessing from God. It could be a setup for judgment. The only way, the only proper biblical way to define success is obedience to God. Jesus made that clear in John 17, 4, when he is praying to the Father before he actually endured his passion, before he died on the cross. Uh, he said, I've glorified you on earth, meaning all the things that I have done from the earliest, my earliest youth through my, my tenure as an I, a, apprentice carpenter, then a, a master carpenter, and now as an itinerant teacher, everything has been done to glorify you. I've accomplished the work that you assigned me to do. That is success. Now, for us, keep in mind, 
our work does not save us. What saves us is the grace of God, the gift of salvation through Christ. That's the only thing that saves us. Our work does not save us. Our work is our response to this wonderful gift. It's a response to the gift of life. So when we have given the greatest gift of all, the gift of eternal life, the only way we can possibly respond is to say, thank you, I'm your servant, and live that reality of being the servant of God. That is what real success looks like. Anything else is not success. It is, at best, pseudo-success. Money is pseudo-success unless it is preceded by obedience and alignment with God. Money is not security. Revelation 3.17 is Jesus speaking to the Laodiceans who were very wealthy people and it presumed because they had money that they didn't need anything. So the text reads, you say, refer you Laodiceans say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth and don't, do not need a thing. That's generally how we think. We think money is the answer for most things. If I have money, I can buy whatever I need. If I have a problem, I can buy my way out of the problem. We, it's very easy to think this way. Happens to be false thinking. Notice what Jesus says in the rest of the verse. But you do not realize. when That, that phrase means you are deceived. You are in error. You are not correct when you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. That is not true. You do not realize that you are, and here's the truth about you, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Before God, you are wretched. You are pitiful. You are poor. You have nothing, nothing that God ultimately will value. He values righteousness, and all you bring is money. Money cannot buy righteousness. I am sorry. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be the wealthiest person in the world. Your money will not buy righteousness. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind. You cannot see reality correctly, and you're naked. You have no standing before God. That's the truth. You want security? You need to get the things that make you secure before God. Money is not that. Money can never be that. No material possession can make you secure before God. Fifth, money is only a temporal tool and does not produce contentment. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. I mean, it's so clear. Uh, godliness with contentment is the only way to great gain. It's the only way to real prosperity. It's the only way to right standing with God. And yet we think we can go and, and make a bunch of money and everything's cool. Well, that's just a deception in us. Money is simply a tool. It's a tool that God gives us to serve his purpose in this, in this existence. We don't bring mo any money into the world. We don't take it out of the world. It's a temporal tool has no value beyond this existence. It's kind of like monopoly money. Monopoly money only has value in the game of monopoly. Well, what we call currency, the dollar bill, the most popular currency currently in the world today, has value only in this existence. Use it wisely, not for your will, not for your ways, but for God's will and God's ways. Alignment is the only way forward.
And when you do that, you get the wonderful benefit of, of contentment before God, because now you're using money in a godly way, and that will use that will bring contentment. Retirement is not the end objective of work. Uh, this is a text. I'm not going to take the time to read it all to you, but just want to point it out to you that this is a man who had a windfall profit and decided he was going to stop working and just spend the rest of his life eating, drinking, and being merry. But he did not realize that God was going to call him to account that very night. And he was called to account. And if you can see this, at the last few lines, it says, God said to him, fool, fool is an ignorant person. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? In other words, God's, God's measuring stick was generational transfer. You see, God gave him those resources not to eat, drink, and be merry, but to prepare the next generation. And he did not do that. And so that's where he will, he will fall short. This is why money can never do it for us. It can never be the measuring stick for acceptance with God. It only is the grace of God. And then once you're filled with the grace of God, you'll be filled with gratitude and you will be his servant and you will use money then according to God's will and God's ways, which means you will do generational transfer. So retirement is not the end objective of work. Retirement is something that refers to just a phase of life. When you retire from a job, you do not retire from your calling. You, you continue to fulfill the call of God in your life, and you continue to be his servant, and you will continue to use your resources to do his will. Retirement just means you've changed where you go to work each day. That's all it means. It does not mean that you are in charge of your life. You cannot worship God and money. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This means you don't have the power. It isn't that you don't have the permission. You certainly don't have that, but that's the word is more powerful. It's the word dunamis here. Dunamis that's negated means you cannot. You don't have the power to do it. So here it says you cannot. Dunamis. You, you have a dunamis, you cannot serve God and money. You will serve one or the other. If money is your objective, you're running around telling people you want to be wealthy to serve God's purposes, you are serving money. You are not serving God. The only way to serve God is to serve him uniquely, exclusively. You cannot serve God and money. God sets your standard of living. Now, this is a hard one for most of us because most of us want control of our lives. I'm not going to read this text to you in detail. I just want to put it up here in front of you. And notice a few things here. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You see, spending money on our pleasures is very, very, very dangerous. It's so easy for those pleasures to be self-defined. He goes on to say, you adulterous people, you don't, you don't, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? You see, when I am self-defining what I want to do, I'm an enemy of God. I'm an adulterer, a spiritual adulterer. And if I'm an enemy of God, I'm going to get the consequences of being the enemy of God. This is a dire warning. We do not have the right 
to decide how to spend our resources. We look to the word of God to direct us, to give us the principles. And later on in this teaching, I'm going to teach you the five uses of money and how to think about these things from a biblical worldview. We have to have God's wisdom and discernment and perspective to properly use resources or we will be guilty of being an enemy of God. The purpose of the primary purpose of work is not to make money, but to do the will of God. This is James 4, 13 through 15. It's a fairly well-known text. And if you've heard me teach on this or, or teach most of anything, I, I bring this up frequently because it's such a clear, powerful text. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, you will go to such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. We call that a business plan. I've written probably... 60 or 70 business plans in my career as a consultant and every one of them said we're going to go someplace and do something and we're going to make a bunch of money they always say that so here's what scripture says to that mentality yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring that's true we don't what is your life for you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes very true in the scheme of god's great story we are a little blip, but we count. This is not this text is not trying to say you don't count. You count, but don't think more of yourself more highly than you should. Remember, God's got this great story of history going on. We've been given a privilege to play a bit part. Be humble. Then he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. In my business planning now, I've come to the point where I, when I do it, I, in fact, or any kind of organization I'm working with, whether it's a profit or nonprofit, it doesn't matter. I, I always preface our discussion with, we are here today to seek the will of God. That is the only purpose for gathering to do planning is to seek the will of God. So we begin in prayer. We, we pray through the, through the time we're together when we come to to points we don't know what to do, and we pray at the end. And the prayer is always, we commit this plan to you. If we have missed it, Lord, give us the grace to recognize it and repent. And Father, whatever is lines with you, give us the grace to execute it well. So the primary purpose of work, the primary purpose of any organization is not to make money, but to do the will of God. And finally, Hard work does produce a profit. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk only to poverty. We're talking about hard work, meaning licit work, work that God has ordained to be done by the people who's ordained to do it. That's what hard work is. It is not hard work just because you decide to do it. It's not even hard work if you're doing the will of God, but you're not doing it according to the ways of God. It's true hard work is done according to the will and the ways of God, and that will then lead to profit. God uses that. God brings glory to himself this way. Now I want to take a minute and talk about prosperity. Tangibly and intangibly, this is a blessing that God gives to us, and we have in Scripture uh, over 80 times in the New, New International Version, the word prosperity and its derivatives are mentioned. And of these 81 times, 80 of them are in the Old Testament, roughly 80. There might be a, a couple more in the New Testament in different versions. 
but generally in the New International Version, it's 81 times in the Old Testament, uh, 81 times in Scripture, 80 times in the Old Testament. Most of what's revealed in the Bible about prosperity comes from the Old Testament. So those of you that have a low view of the Old Testament, you need to get over that because that is Scripture. The New Testament comes from the Old Testament. Christianity is a is is revealed, it's concealed in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament. So the Old Testament, New Testament, they are hand in glove. So we want to look very carefully at what Scripture has to say. So prosperity in the Old Testament has many nuances. So here are some examples of these nuances here. So we have the word um, parts, which means to break out. So there's a sense in which uh, prosperity is breaking out, a breaking out of a bondage, a breaking out of a barrier. The, another word is shishlak, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing these correctly. These are Hebrew words that are hard to pronounce for me. Uh, that's pushing forward. Or you probably heard the word tobe. Uh, that that is good in a very general sense, in the widest sense. Things that are good, things that are good, are things that align with God. Thing, good is a divine attribute. So when you say good, you're talking about things that align with God. And then the word rob, which means abundance, where things from us, our standpoint, we have an abundance of things. Anytime you think you have an abundance of things. That what, you, what you're seeing is, from a natural perspective, it looks like abundance. From God's perspective, it's provision for his will. So when you have abundance, you're always, you'd be asking yourself, what is the will of God here? He has a will for this thing, and it's not just abundance for me to do what I want to do. Uh, yatab, uh, which literally means sound or beautiful, and figuratively means, means successful or right, I'm hesitant to use the word happy because that's so misunderstood today. We're all into happiness, and happiness is about circumstances. Christians should be about joy. Joy is about our relationship with God, which no matter what the circumstances are, we can have joy. But not all circumstances are pleasant. They're not, they don't necessarily make us happy. But the sense here is more successful and right and sound and beautiful. Sakal, circumspect. Hence, intelligent. It's really being aware, been mentally acute, mentally astute. The yathar, to excel, to remain, to be left, to bound, or preserve. In other words, that which endures. Saga, to enlarge, to expand your borders, for example, where God gives you grace to grow and develop. Healthy things grow. Shalom. We've heard shalom frequently, safe, well-being. It's a blessing we speak over people, health, friendliness, uh, prosperity, peace, those kinds of things. Dashin, that means to be fat. Now, this is at a time when when, when people struggled just to, to have food every day. Mo there were very few fat people in those days because they were largely starved most of the time. Well, today we're in a, a time where God has given us the technology to be able to have abundant food. And we are we tend to overeat and we tend to get fat. And so that's what's happening is we tend to be um, out of order here in this regard. And so please know that the word fat here doesn't mean what it means today. Back in the Old Testament times, it was a sign of God's blessing. You have plenty of food. And that's uh, that's the sense of it here. 
or another sense of it is to anoint or satisfy. Tishadah, I can't even pronounce that one. I'm not even going to try. Moral rightness or virtue. And then mal, to fill or be full of. Uh, benai, to build. And finally, a New Testament word, a Greek word, hupso, uh, which means to lift up on high, uh, to exalt opulence, prosperity. So those are nuances. You can see many different nuances of the idea of prospering. So what I've done is I've taken these nuances and I put them into what I call the prosperity predictor. And the prosperity predictor is intended to be a prophetic gifting, a prophetic tool to help you see where someone might be in aligning with God. You're only going to prosper in the way God defines prosperity when you align with him. So it's an alignment tool. So in the left-hand column, you have the impediment to prosperity. In the far right-hand column, you have the facilitator of prosperity. So in the middle column, you have some scripture you could look at to get a sense of these various uh, aspects. There are 19 traits I've identified. This is not a complete list. This, is, this is, doesn't include necessarily everything we just went through, but it's a fairly representative list of traits that will really facilitate prosperity in someone, biblical traits. So as you go down and look at this, you look at the left-hand column, and then you look at the, at the opposing right-hand column. So the first one, first trait is the left-hand column is fears man. The right-hand column is fears the Lord. Well, clearly, uh, fears the Lord is a facilitator of prosperity. The fear of man is, is going to facilitate poverty. So... You see in the left-hand column, if you have fear of man and that largely drives your life, you will score a zero. On the other hand, if you really have great maturity in Christ and you fear the Lord, then you will score a 10. And so clearly that's uh, that's where you want to be. And uh, all of us would like to be in that far right-hand column, at least I think most of us would be. But the left-hand column is very alluring and it's the natural default state of fallen mankind. And even those that have been regenerated and born again and know the Lord and are growing in Christ, they're not perfect in living in the reality of being in Christ. They still have vestiges of the old way of thinking and old way of living that they haven't, they haven't gotten free from. And so they tend to default to those. So, for example, the second one, it's easy to default to not trusting the Lord. Many of us have situations where we think God has forgotten us. He is not aware of what we need. We really need money. We really need resources of some sort. We need relationships. We need an opportunity. We think about God doesn't really know about these things, so we don't really trust him. That is very easy for us to do. It's really hard to trust the Lord when things are going uh, in a way that don't look favorable to you. But yet that's what we're called to do, to always trust the Lord no matter what. No matter what it is, we trust him, even if we're facing the death of a loved one, we still trust him. We're facing serious pain. We're, sp- we're facing destruction. We still trust the Lord. That is really hard. But if you can do that, you're a 10. Now, this is intended to be a, a, an analog scale. So you can use any number between 0 and 10 that reflects what you think is your degree of alignment with God. <clears throat> the more you're aligned with God, the higher the number is. Probably very few of us will score tens on hardly anything here, but we might score some high numbers 
and other other areas will score low numbers. For example, you go on down the, the chart a, a bit, you'll find uh, you know stingy, for example. You know, the <clears throat> impediment to prosperity is being stingy, whereas the facilitator of prosperity is being generous. Well, most of us know we need to be generous, but we may not be able to live in that reality. And keep in mind what we're trying to predict here uh, is what you really believe, not what you say you believe. You can say uh, that you're generous. The question is, how, how do you live? The people around you have a better sense of that than anyone. So I want to encourage you to do this exercise for yourself. Uh, you add up your total, and then you normalize it by dividing by 1.9. And then I offer to you at the bottom a rating scale, where 90 to 100 score would be, that is the uh, normalized score, the rating scale. Um, that would be a, an A, a B would be 80 to 89, a C would be 70 79, et cetera. So I encourage you to look at that, consider that. If you're a manager, a leader, a parent, this is a great tool to give to the people that you are over, you where you are commissioning them, you're guiding them. Uh, you need to know how well they're aligning with God. And it gives you tools now to work on. As you see, there are weak points here. Now you know what you need to pray for and how to work with them to help them improve their alignment. As they improve their alignment, they improve their ability to, to, to live in the prosperity of God, which is always a gift of God, to live in his prosperity, live aligned with him, live where you are the tool to facilitate his will and his ways. You are accomplishing his purpose. You're an agent of the kingdom. You are salt and light. You are what God has called you to be. You're running the race he's called you to run. He's bringing glory to himself through your life. All these wonderful things begin to happen, and you get to live in the joy and the peace and the contentment of being in Christ. So may we all learn to live in the prosperity of God, the true prosperity of God that comes from alignment with his will and his ways for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.